Stampede. Garner isn't number 86, recorded 22121. How safe do you feel? Well, putting aside all the history of who we are as a species, we could all be snuffed out in a matter of minutes, especially when we're the only planet in our solar system that has life. Where we live is the exception to the rule. Even though scientists say there may be other living things in our galaxy but the odds are pretty slim we'll ever make contact with other living things. And considering how life has evolved here, I'm not so sure we'd want to make contact. Of course, if you want to know what the odds are about our survivability, 
we've only really been here since the last 10,000 years, give or take a few thousand after the end of the Ice Age. And if you take into account this planet is supposed to be 4.5 billion years old and the first evidence of some primitive microorganisms existing 4.2 billion after the oceans formed 4.4 billion years ago, our presence for a mere 10,000 years isn't even a blink of the eye in history. No, we aren't even a drop of water in the ocean of time. And if you want to have perspective about this, of the living species that have ever existed on our planet, 99% have become extinct. That makes me think our survivability is pretty low. If you just follow the trend, you'd have to say we aren't safe. Of course, as a species, we haven't made it very easy on ourselves. We've seemed to have captured the ability to produce food for ourselves, what with some populations having a wealth of production of food, while others less successful. We've managed to understand how to construct housing for ourselves. And yet, within our own country, there's a lot of homelessness. And that doesn't even consider what exists outside of the United States. When I visited China in 1984, most of the population didn't even have indoor plumbing. Strangely, back in America, skyscrapers in major metropolitan centers today are empty. And maybe that's a result of COVID-19.
Whether we can ever do anything about our vulnerability is a serious question. It's not exactly clear why 99% of species since the beginning of life on this planet have become extinct. One thing is certain, nothing remains the same. Things are always changing, and that's a good lesson to learn when it comes to how our government is viewed. Traditions and rituals would make you believe everything will continue as they are. But it should be obvious, things are rapidly changing. The federal government is, by all measurements, bankrupt. And when I say bankrupt, I mean there are no resources to sustain its functioning. It doesn't have enough income to cover its costs. On a basic, everyday level, most Americans can understand if they spend more money than what they have, they have to borrow it from somewhere. If you can convince someone you have the ability to pay back what you borrow, then you can get what you want or need. Of course, it becomes a question if the institution or person who is lending you what you want or need is able to borrow what it needs. Do the lenders need to borrow in order to continue lending? This brings up one of nature's basic emotions, fear. Fear makes us doubt our traditions and rituals. Take, for example, what COVID-19 has done. When thousands, or should I say hundreds of thousands of people begin dying in a very short period of time, tradition and ritual are seriously challenged. And it can never be dismissed as a minor event. Our lives may be forever affected by what has been happening right now. This may be the way we have to live forever. And the money we use may actually be valueless. It may be nothing more than paper being printed with a tradition that no longer exists.
During this historic crisis caused by COVID-19, there have been decisions made which call into question criminality. I'm not an investigative reporter. I'm an artist who loves looking at beautiful things, trying to understand what our future will be. So I'm hesitant to offer an opinion about the motivation behind sending thousands of people to their deaths, especially if it comes from a need to save money, an immoral act to reduce the economic burden of caring for the elderly. In the consumerist world, human behavior can result in some very ugly costs. Take, for example, the motivation of two young brothers killing their parents to inherit their wealth, a not entirely uncommon occurrence in a society where consumerism demands that you get more. It sometimes occurs with an addict killing a grandmother in order to get money to feed an ugly habit. Committing horrendous acts reach far and wide in a consumer society. Even powerful politicians can perform in less than ethical ways. How to balance a budget can often be found by reducing the costs. And in many ways, those who can't contribute to the revenue side of the budget, like the elderly, are considered a burden. It doesn't take a genius to figure out If you can eliminate the drag on a state budget, you preserve the economic system. And what follows is never let a real crisis go to waste. If you're part of the powerful elite in this country, part of generational political power, you can make decisions that aren't accountable. And what could be more important than saving the financial strength of an important state? Save the jobs of governmental workers by getting rid of the dead weight of the elderly. Simply move those suffering with COVID-19 into nursing homes and remove all the excess baggage, lightening the economic load by letting the elderly die with COVID-19. Welcome to the consumerist world. The monsters are everywhere.
during a crisis, especially one where the lives of hundreds of thousands, if not millions, have been threatened. Mistakes are made. That can be expected. But distrust and skepticism has been rising about the truth people are told. And I can tell you one of the reasons for that. Career politicians have reached into the profession of journalism. How and why that has happened is not entirely clear, but it's obvious that major news organizations openly promote a point of view rather than report the facts. There's a distinction to be made between someone who is slanting the news and someone who is openly endorsing what a politician stands for. It can be said that powerful politicians, people who have been in office for a long time, have managed to manipulate who is permitted to speak to the American public. And in many ways, Those people are highly paid to endorse a person or a political party and should be called out for who they are. They're propagandists. And what results from their process of supporting someone breeds an atmosphere of distrust. Politicians, by their very nature, are difficult to believe. In order for them to be elected, they must be able to convince the public they are working for them. But in truth, politicians gain power by supporting the interests of large corporations and industries that want to have laws passed favoring their interests and not necessarily the interests of the people. It should be said... Even the believability of the integrity of an election can produce very dangerous consequences. That's why the use of propagandists become very important to perpetuate the system. And that's why barriers of all sorts are constructed to protect the system.
Politicians, powerful politicians, rely on a network of favors. Over time, they install fellow politicians and judges, who in turn employ workers to keep the system functioning. And today, the people who are called journalists play a large part in the continuation of that. If things don't seem to be working, then the people that come into the homes of the public through the nightly news on television or through the social media of the internet exist to persuade everyone that everything is all right or is all wrong, depending on what side their bread is buttered on. The propagandists are often paid large amounts of money to say what their bosses want them to say. And there are propagandists who fear losing their jobs for not pleasing the demands of their bosses. In many ways, with our consumerist economy, the public is manipulated to believe in wanting more. And that produces unhealthy behavior. It's the job of the propagandist to make sure the public is told everything is all right and to prevent them from understanding what's happening. The really good propagandists are like street hustlers playing three-card Monty. With the shuffling of three cards, they deceive you in what you're seeing. The use of the propagandists are actually a sign that the game is rigged. The numbers aren't real. The money isn't real. Your safety isn't real. And what you learn isn't real. The use of propagandists should tell you that something is wrong because their very existence is not to tell you the truth. A lot of people see that. And there's real anger over that. When the propagandists want to make you believe that others are peddling you lies, it's their attempt to deflect from the lies they're creating. In the consumerist world, it's the culture of lies. And that produces distrust and violence. What's coming are the saboteurs, and they want to destroy, and that ain't no lie. And they may not know how to create something beautiful.
this week on Garner Isn't, you heard music from Bernard Herrmann, one of the 20th century's most renowned and prolific composer for motion picture, radio, and television, with a career lasting half a century. Born in 1911, he was classically trained, and at the age of 13, he won a first prize competition for a classical composition, and by 20, he formed his own orchestra. He began in radio in 1934 for CBS as a staff conductor, then music director on experimental radio drama, and eventually became head conductor to the CBS Symphony Orchestra. On radio, he encouraged the introduction of music by lesser-known composers, and was considered one of the most influential figures in radio music. He was the first composer to introduce the use of an electronic device called the theremin. In the 1951 score for the motion picture, The Day the Earth Stood Still, his accolades include only one Academy Award in 1941 for the motion picture, The Devil and Daniel Webster, but nominated for scoring numerous iconic motion pictures of the 20th century. He produced music for such great directors as Orson Welles, Alfred Hitchcock, Francois Truffaut, and Martin Scorsese. This week you heard the music scored for two motion pictures on Dangerous Ground, 1951, and Truffaut's 1966 Fahrenheit 451. Stampede, written and performed by Edward Garner in Morro Bay and Paso Robles, California.